This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. All right, real quick before we get started on the show, I'm just going to talk about Treeline Academy. You've heard me say it. I can't even tell you how many times. Um, Mark Levesay is treelineacademy.net. That's treelineacademy.net. Sign up. Use the promo code PC2020. Save yourself 20 bucks. Can't say it enough. It's awesome. Amazing. Most comprehensive e-scouting course out there. Check it out for yourself. Sign up. Use promo code PC2020. And now let's get to the show. All right. So I'm sitting here and I am talking to Mark Hertzfeldt. And I got that right, right? <laughs> yep, you All got right. it. Right on. <laughs> so, Mark, um, I kind of saw some of the cool stuff you were doing and wanted to get you on and talk about that because I thought it was pretty cool. And it turns out, like, I guess somehow you've been following me for a little while and, like, something of yours popped up and I'm like, hey, what's this? And started digging through and I'm like, oh, we follow each other. I didn't even know. It happens a lot. I've, I've started to notice after a certain amount of people, you kind of, you get to a certain point where you don't see everything and you start missing things and you wish you could go back, but sometimes it doesn't really happen. But can you go ahead yeah. and introduce? <laughs> well, and that's the thing. Yeah. With, with, I'll introduce myself. Oh yeah. That's with, <laughs> with, with social media and everything, you know, and you, you follow people for certain reasons and then, you know, your feed kind of probably gets a little bit manipulated and you, and you start liking certain things and then you only see those, but then eventually those, those other, you know, you get to scrolling through and scrolling through and then those, those other uh, uh, accounts show up for you too. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm Mark Hersfeldt. Um 
I am born and raised in the Midwest in, in Wisconsin. And about five years ago, well, I was basically brought up hunting and fishing um, with, my, with my dad and family and, and brother. And uh, yeah, I was brought up hunting and fishing, just grew to love hunting, uh, probably a little bit more than fishing. And uh, it's just been a, a passion of mine as far as bow hunting more specifically. Um, I haven't really uh, picked up a gun to, to, to do any hunting in a long, long time. Um, and then about, I would say, uh, four or five years ago, my family and I decided to move out to North Carolina. Uh, climate's a little bit warmer than the, than the Midwest. <laughs> and uh, North Carolina has kind of the best of both worlds as far as uh, out west, you have the mountains, and and if you go the other way towards the coast, you got the beaches and and warm climates, and so yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much my background as far as that goes. And then just learning to hunt all over again, moving from the Midwest over over here to North Carolina. That wouldn't think it, but uh, the deer and and everything are just uh, way different. So been trying to figure out how to hunt deer out here in North Carolina for the last four years. So, <laughs> so when you, when, when you hunted in, um, in Wisconsin, it was kind of more like agricultural, right? You were kind of, yep. yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was mainly, um, uh, we had, uh, a family, family farm, not, not my immediate family, but my dad's dad's cousins and, and we were allowed to hunt out on their farm. And that's how I grew up was, hunting farmland um so we got to know the property really well and and from age 12 until um let's see just a few years ago five years ago um we would we would hunt the family farm and then um you know through college and things i would i would i was down in the milwaukee area and and hunted a lot of the the some of the public lands down that way. And, um, uh, I was gaining access to, by just by knocking on doors and, and things like that. And, um, yeah, so it was, a, it was a lot of agriculture, um, and public land there at the end there. So, yeah. so, um, did you, I, I'm kind of curious cause I remember like the property that I had that was a decent sized private chunk and it was way better property than I ever knew of or how to even hunt at the time but we had nicknames for all of our stands um so like there was a funnel that would go through like a, a good cover of pine trees and on the other side was a hedgerow and it would funnel the deer through that they'd take that to get out into some of the fields and stuff so we called that the pipeline and then uh, there were some other ones you know like the big the big elm was one of them that was a big old elm that we had a tree stand in and i'm kind of curious did you guys have a bunch of nicknames for all your tree stands or I would I would say I, it was more of this like based on on locations within the farm like you know we you know and and it was my dad my brother and I so we all kind of had our own little areas you know and we all just kind of like had those areas but you know we'd always you know the old four wheeler trail so that that's kind of where where I hunted quite a bit and um yeah so we did have you know some of that where <laughs> And, and, and it's funny, it says before you, you were even, you know, thought you knew how to hunt or and that sort of thing. Like that's, we just went out and we sat every after every weekend afternoon and we just hope the deer come by. And, and so, um, you know, 
we'd always we wouldn't really pay attention to the wind we just go out and hunt and that was <laughs> yeah. that was fun <laughs> i mean i used and, to do it too same thing just oh well and then and then once you did kind of learn like yeah i should probably play the wind a little bit but you're working mm-hmm. with a limited piece of property too and it's like you know, oh, maybe I'll go to the elm instead of the pipeline or whatever, you know, and you're, you're maybe moving a hundred or, you know, 200 yards <laughs> opposite spot. Right. Right. Yeah. It's cause, cause you knew where the deer were and, and you knew their patterns. And so, you know, in, when hunting that property, it was, you knew eventually, like every year I knew I would get a shot out of deer. It was just a matter of time just put the time in and, um, you know, you'd get a shot at a pretty decent buck or at least see one. So, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a, that's where I, uh, you know, that's how we, I think a lot of us started out. <laughs> yeah. The biggest buck of my life was one of the first sits that I ever sat. And my buddy's dad came out to the property, um, right, right when my parents bought a chunk of it and the rest of it I just had access to. And, um, he came out and, started looking around and put up some tree stands and he was a pretty avid and uh, good bow hunter back, you know, back in the day. And, uh, he set up a couple stands and I went and sat in one. It was like my first, first or second sit out and I'm sitting there and I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. Finally, the sun comes up and it's, I mean, like barely legal shooting light. Biggest buck I've ever seen in my life at that point in time. And still one of the biggest bucks I've ever seen that I took a shot at. And, um, he comes along perfectly broadside. I draw back no range finders back then. You know, I was like, I think I was like 15 years old. Um, so we're talking <laughs> like 2000 ish. So, <laughs> and, uh, completely miss just right over him. It sails right over him and he kind of stops and he looks around and I, put another arrow in and I draw back right <laughs> under him and I'm like nice. oh man then he takes off and that was like the last time I ever saw him I think somebody got him during that shotgun season or something but it was just like the experiences like that that you had no idea or if you would have practiced or measured out trees or just known any of those things it could have been a lot different my story would have been a lot different <laughs> right 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 exactly uh, yeah, I've got, <laughs> yeah, I've got similar stories and, um, yeah, we just, it was just, uh, it was a good, good place to hunt cause, cause you always knew it. And then, you know, on the beginning when I first was starting out baiting was legal. So, um, you know, and that's kind of, kind of what I'm, I'm, tr- I'm going back on cause my daughter is now 11 going on 12 and in North Carolina here, you can, uh, youth can start hunting I think pretty much any age as long as you're with uh with a a licensed hunter or an adult um but but basically you know we're we're put, trying to get the bait so that the deer stop and they're nice and still and so we that's how that's how I started out with with big old bait piles and and we made sure those were were good and ready for opening season and throughout the season and then that then baiting kind of got got taken away and and that's when you really started trying to to learn how to hunt yeah. so it was uh and then and then it was more like well we'll just wait waiting for the rutting to come come around and you know, yeah, wait and wait yeah. for that cruising deer to come by so i still yeah. take the rutcation every year that's still my kind of thing oh, you know yeah. but um 
I got to ask you, did you watch uh, on Sundays? Did you go out hunting or were you too busy watching the Packers play? <laughs> well, it was always a tough call, but yeah, we <laughs> we were out every Saturday and Sunday as, as much as we could. We without trying to burn up our spots too bad, you know, because yeah. we did realize that if you if you did go out every time into the same spot, you know, you're going to burn that spot out. So. Yeah, it wasn't it was every other weekend, I would say, in the beginning. But yeah. once the rutcation came around, then trying to figure out how to get out of school and, and go hunting. Yeah, that's, yeah. I never had to worry about that too much, but, you know, sick days and stuff kind of covered that. But now, unfortunately, with social media, you can't use the sick days at work and you end up getting the booner or something, a buck of a lifetime. And then the next thing you know, you want to post it. And that wouldn't be good. So. Now you true, actually, true. <laughs> now you actually yeah, have true. to have to take vacation during that time, but um, right. so so I mean, how how old is your daughter? I don't know if you said how old she is. She's eleven. Um, yeah. So she's she's always come out with me. I always took her along when she was really young. I mean, three four years old. I was out scouting with her and. Um, she's always just loved to come out and, and sit in the woods. And so this year we tried, we tried turkey hunting, um, with a bow and we, we, I've, I've hunted public land for four years out here. And just this year, finally found a lease. So we, um, we pretty much stayed on the lease because, um, I didn't, I didn't want to drag her through so much public land doing doing the walk and then climbing of the hills out here that I, I really want her to, to stay interested rather than drag her three, four miles and <laughs> not see anything. Well, we ended up not really seeing anything at all turkey hunting. Um, and then this year, yeah, she's, a, she's, uh, she's out hunting with me, archery hunting with me and we're seeing, we're seeing deer and that's just been fun to watch because uh, she gets real excited when, when deer come in. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that, that's, what's keeping us going here as well. So she'll, I'm not even, I'm not even bringing my bow until she pretty much gets a shot or, or we get, you know, close enough where we can, we can get a few shots off. Um, i maybe I'll take some vacation during the week and go out if she's got school, but that's, that's what I'm focusing on this year. Yeah, so. That's good. Like you and I talked a little, you know, earlier, a few days earlier, <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't know how I could do it. I mean, my kids are still a little bit too young, I think to do that, but how, mm -hmm. how did you even keep them, uh, keep her still? Like when you take her out hunting with you or, <laughs> I mean, just a lot of snacks or what? I mean, that's kind of what I found that works is snacks. Yep. When the snacks run out, it's like game over. You better be ready to pack your stuff up and go home. Yep. Yeah. I mean, we don't, that's the other thing, like ground blinds are, are really good um, because my son too, I mean, he's, he's eight years old and um, like, I'll bring them both out and, and turkey hunting. And as long as they're occupied, they bring books, bring um, screens or whatever, and, and uh, keep them occupied for a while. But if we're only out there for an hour, that that's fine. Um, because you know, like we didn't, we didn't, we didn't really see much as far as turkeys this, this spring, but, um, we did have a time when there were some gobblers responding to our calls and like, just to see their faces when, when those gobblers would, would respond, 
you know, that, that was, that was worth it right there. And I think we were only out for maybe an hour, but, um, yeah, that's, that's as far as movement goes and ground blinds work pretty well. Um, we are hunting from, from tree stands, uh, this fall. And that is, that is the thing. Cause like, I'm trying to think like when you were 11 and, and like, <laughs> can't sit still. <laughs> no. I have a hard so, time sitting still now, you know? <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and now with saddle hunting now, like you're just swinging up there. I, I have to stop myself, but yeah, like it's, I, I really don't, I don't, don't care. Like I'm on the watch for as much as I can for deer. And you know, if, if we start up a conversation, we start up a conversation and <laughs> you know, if we've got bugs and we're swatting bugs, then, then we try to get those away. But yeah, it's uh it's a, a big learning and then, and then we're hunting in the same tree. So, um, just really trying to, you know, be right next to her and let her and coach her through the whole process as much as I can. So I think that's probably like the, the most fun part probably, or, or the most rewarding is, is being right there and watching those emotions and kind of like guiding her through that. I think that that's the thing I look forward to the most. Um, mm-hmm. maybe not even the animal, but just, just getting them to that point, you know, and I mean, I'm sure that it's a whole nother gamut of emotions that happen once, once that happens with the animal too. So best mm-hmm. of luck with that, man, for sure. And I uh, hope yeah. you're successful. That'll be pretty cool. <laughs> I, I'm hoping I, I, I know then, I mean, she's pretty hooked right now, but I'm pretty sure that'll, that'll seal the deal as far as a, a hunting partner for life. So that's, that's my goal here. That's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so you mentioned saddle hunting and I'm kind of curious because like we were mentioning a little bit earlier before the podcast that, uh, you've got it and it's a passion of yours. That's become a pretty nice little, little business that you got going there. Um, so let's kind of transition into that and talk about some of the products that you have and kind of, you know, why or how you came, came about doing them. Sure. Um, yeah. So when I first moved out to, North Carolina, I mean, I was hunting mainly public land and, um, you know, I'd always to be mobile hunted from a tree stand or, or, uh, like a climber tree stand or you know, lock on sometimes, but, uh, climber was my main go-to. Um, and then uh, coming out here, the terrain is so much different. So there's, there are some pretty decent Hills that you have to climb. And, um, you know, I've, I've hunted public land in the in the Midwest, but not as, not as serious as, as out here. So realize that, you know, in order to find deer out here, you really do need to, to, to do a lot of walking. And a lot of my, um, decent areas tended to be a mile or two into these public lands. And after, after hauling, uh, a climber and a backpack, and I do self film, um, you know, that, that gets, to be pretty heavy and at the point that I really decided that uh, that I needed a, a lighter setup which was the saddle was you know I, I went in a couple miles and set up and up in the tree and forgot forgot my release to my bow and, and it was like <laughs> now now what do you do <laughs> right like yeah. do you do you sit out and film which which I was probably okay with or try to you know I wasn't, I wasn't comfortable just shooting with three fingers anymore, the compound bow. So, um, I decided to 
pack it up and it was early enough in the morning that I was going to go back and get my release. And, but it was just, uh, at that point I was like, I need something to be as mobile as possible. So, so that's when I decided, uh, saddle hunting was the way to go. And, um, then I've, I'm, I'm an engineer. So like from, I mean, I've watched 3d printing for quite a few years actually. And I, few years ago was when I got into to 3D printing and um, really just because I was really interested in it and and I wanted to see what I could do. I always loved bringing ideas to life basically because you can have all these ideas and as an engineer you can design them up and they look great um, on the computer but then once you actually can produce it pretty much in your garage or you know wherever you have the space to have a, a printer um, you know, those ideas pretty much can be put into use because of the materials that have come so far as far as uh, printing materials. Um, so you can basically bring an idea to life. And uh, so then once you bring in saddle hunting and, and 3D printing and, and engineering mind that just has a lot of <laughs> ideas, I would say, and I think they're all great, but um you can kind of you can bring some of those ideas so out of necessity i was just starting to different uh things to make my uh my saddle set up a little bit easier um so that's that's kind of where it started and i started you know sharing sharing things on social media and and people were were pretty interested and it kind of kind of just grew from there really i mean um you know people were asking hey you know can you make me a few of those and um, yeah, it just, it just kind of went from there and, and I've just brought the ideas that I've had, uh, to life. I work with a lot of other hunters that say, Hey, you know, I've got this idea. Can you, can you, can we do something? And so I'll work with them to bring their idea to life and, and send it to them and try it out. And that that's the way to go. So, um, one of the biggest things I mentioned with the, uh, with the tree climber and the self-filming was was the the camera setup. So I started out hunting from a tree stand and and camera arms were um you know in my pack and I had a you know like a fairly decent camera arm but the thing weighed over 10 pounds without the fluid head and camera. Um <laughs> so I thought there's gotta be uh there's gotta be a better way to pack in something way lighter to to hold a camera and um it started out i wanted to completely 3d print it and realized that you know materials are great as far as filaments that can be printed um probably got to go up a little bit more in cost and in in the printers that i have that maybe is possible but um found out i couldn't 100 percent 3d print and then started looking more towards um i don't know aluminum and then adding 3d printed parts onto aluminum and basically working with a uh with a local fabricator uh came up with a pretty lightweight uh less than two pound camera arm um so so that's that's kind of just how the ideas keep keep growing and 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 what i do as far as the diy bowing so part of it i'm kind of curious what was the first thing that you created and like, what was the necessity or the why behind it? I'm sure it probably wasn't the camera arm, or was it? No, no, it wasn't. Um, the the 
the first things were just the simple clips and and things you need to climb so in a saddle like you're you're completely mobile and so i was hunting with with uh, sticks to climb the tree and a platform um but uh and the more and more research i did around you know saddle hunting and and climbing trees was you can you can get those first two sticks up on a tree but uh those other two sticks, it's nice to climb with them hanging on rather than going down to the bottom of the tree every time. And, and you'll find them all over the place, but uh, um, just a simple um, clip with a, with a continuous loop. Um, I use an Amsteel continuous loop um, inside of a clip. And, and basically the, you can hang your sticks on both sides of you and a platform off the back. So you can, basically pull those things off your saddle as you're climbing up in the tree. And then, um, so those, those simple saddle clips were it. And then once you get up in the tree, the next thing is, is you got to hang all your gear. So then, you know, creating some, some simple hooks and, and a bow hanger for, for up in the tree. And that's, that's where it kind of started. Um, and then from there, you know, just refining my setup. I mean, everybody's got, when you buy a set of sticks, you've got a, a set of uh, cam buckles on on your sticks, or cam straps, and I always real figured out how to make that cam buckle hit the aluminum stick as you're putting it up. So I printed out of a, a rubber-like material um, some some silencers, basically, so like slip a cover that slips over that cam buckle. So those were the first things that were kind of out of a necessity type thing as far as saddle hunting goes that that I created. No, I, I think that's really cool because I, I've seen a lot of different ways people have tried to silence buckles, whether it be putting stealth strips or some type of other felt type material on them, or mm -hmm. they put heat shrink tubing on them and then you got to cut the heat shrink tubing. But if you accidentally slide that out of there, you know, you're you're webbing out of there and it's fully out it's almost impossible to get it back in with that heat shrink tubing on and so i'd been looking for ways and trying to figure it out and 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 then uh i don't know where i saw it and that wasn't even the first thing of yours i saw but i was like what this is all the same guy making this stuff and right. and somebody's like oh yeah this is 3d printed and uh it's a rubberized material and i'm like that's freaking awesome. Like that is cool. Right. And to see like, not only I was the only one who was thinking about it, but didn't have the background or whatever to make it happen or make it possible, but you did. And now there's like a demand for it, right? There's people that want that. I mean, that's gotta be a pretty good feeling to kind of, you know, know that you came up with it and then have people actually want it and, you know, asking you and doing all those things. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I I love that when when at least when I can hear that you know somebody is actually using them and then they go out and they create a video you know on around that product doing a review around that product and you know it's just yeah it does it it makes it makes me feel good I mean and it also I like it that that's actually helping them in their hunting experience so it's actually it's actually working for them you know the way it was designed and. <laughs> And it's not just a, you know, a crazy idea that I had and um, it works for myself and my setup. And that's the other thing is like every hunter has their own system and, and 
and that's where 3D printing really helps out is, you know, they can, they can come to me and ask, you know, hey, can I get this here or can I modify this design just a little bit because my system, this is how I do it and this is how I'm comfortable with it. So, you know, rather than, you know, just buying a standard, just say, bow, hunt, uh, bow hanger, um, you know, you can, you can kind of customize the design on the fly for that, that specific individual. Yeah. So. I mean, that's pretty cool. Cause I, let's face it. Most of the commercially available bow hangers suck. They just suck. <laughs> They're not good. Uh, like, um, I'll just say it muddy. They make some crap. It's, it's garbage. Most of the stuff that they make for like hanging your stuff is junk. Yeah. And like, I bought a muddy, I don't, I don't remember the name of it, but it was like, uh, where it's got the buckles on it and a slider to like tension it up. And uh, it had like four or five plastic hooks on it. And you could not hang anything. Like if you put your bow on that, the hanger is like halfway sideways already. And, uh, and, and it's, it looks like it's about to break the plastic on it turned white. Like it was embrittled and it was just terrible. And, and I mean, I paid, I think I paid like 18 bucks or something stupid for that. And it's like, this is junk. And I thought to myself after I bought it, I'm like, man, I've got better webbing in my basement from previous projects that I've done that I have with all kinds of buckles and stuff. And I'm like, I can make a better one, but I can't make a better hook. And then right. here comes all these engineers and 3D printing. And and what's what I find funny about it, though, is that like you don't get too many tree stand hunters put hang-ons or lock-ons or ladder stands or or whatever they don't modify gear at all Mm -hmm. i mean they just don't i mean what are you going to do other than maybe like something to your sticks you might change out buckles to whatever you know uh, a rope rope method or whatever but they're not going to modify the tree stand that the manufacturer made but then here comes saddle hunters (laughs) yeah they even if something works absolutely perfect somebody's going to tear it apart and put something else on it just to see if it works or works for them. <laughs> it's crazy. Yep. I'm starting to notice like the more I start following, cause I kind of just, you know, bought a saddle, got in it, blah, blah, blah. And there was a lot of things that I thought to myself, like I made my own, my own anchor, my own uh, lineman's belt and all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. I just, I'd never really went to the extreme with modifications, but now I'm seeing all these things come out and all these people and some of them are tried and true now. So I'm willing to use them, but um, <laughs> I, <laughs> it's, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, and, and that's the, that is, that is a great point because um, you know, like I don't, I don't know what it is, but like, I, and I'm a DIYer, you know, through and through, but and that's maybe why I am now liking saddle hunting and the saddle hunting crowd so much, um, because they're willing to to do the the DIY uh, things and and try new things. And um, I think there's definitely a limit to that as far as you know safety is involved. And, <laughs> and that's one thing that I that I try to stress. I mean, you know, you know when when doing anything yourself you're taking your life into your own hands as far as you're you're basically hanging from the side of a tree so you know there's there's only so far you want to go with uh with uh diy and and (laughs) 
Be careful. <laughs> I've, I've seen things, and I talked about this on one of my previous podcasts that I just did, but mm-hmm. there is cringeworthy things out there that you see people doing, and you're like, ooh, no, just don't do that. Don't do that. And then mm-hmm. here I go and break one of my golden rules, and just the other day I went and put uh, some stealth tape on my carabiners, which you don't do because if there's a flaw or a crack or something, you're obviously not going to see it. But at the same time, I don't know. I kind of want to be quieter on that. So. And it, yeah, and and I've done it too. I mean, I've I used the the camel wrap and and I've done it too to, to the carabiners. And now now I gotta use the the black ones. I guess I'm not sure, but. <laughs> yeah, it's uh I that's that's the one thing that, you know, it, you know, when it comes to 3D printing, I see a lot of things as far as 3D printing goes that there's there's no way that I'm going to try and do that. So people always ask about 3D printed steps and um even 3D printed uh platforms and so I just stay away from that stuff completely because I don't want to be responsible no. for anybody getting hurt so um, yeah yeah. so but yeah there there is a ton there's a huge diy crowd in the in the saddle hunting uh industry and and i think it's more just because it is so new to everybody that some of the gears just just that is needed just isn't there yet and and the bigger companies are starting to come out with it and making it more mainstream um but um there's always i think there's always uh uh that thought or there there's always a place for the, the hunter and being custom customizing your own gear because uh, i think every hunter has their own type of system and, and it works in in their way so yeah no it's pretty cool though i mean because i've always been like a diy guy my wife always mm-hmm. gets on me all the time that i've got too many hobbies and crafts and whatever that i do but it's <laughs> like it all somehow ties into each other like i started making knives and then I had a need to learn how to do leather work so I could make holsters and then once I started doing the leather work I was like hey now I can make a holster for my gun rather than just a sheath for the knife so then it kind of snowballed into that and then you know the next thing and the next thing and so on so when that came to traditional hunting uh for a while there I shot a trad bow and it was like well Hmm. now I can make all my stuff so I made my own wraps for my uh for my handle of the bow and I made my own string silencers out of fur that I had. And I mean, I just, you know, went and did it all. And then I couldn't afford at the time. I couldn't afford a, a safari tough quiver. So it was like that nice soft fleece lined one. So I went and made my own, <laughs> I went and got some drain pipe, yep. you know, the real lightweight PVC. And I silenced inside with felt and silenced outside and did all that kind of stuff. And it was like, I get it, but still like, I don't know, man, maybe I'm just not confident enough in like, cause I was never a rock climber or any of that kind of stuff that, uh, and, um, you know, I, I don't know, maybe I've fallen one too many times. <laughs> <laughs> well, and to your point too, like I, I, from a, from a, when I got into saddle hunting, I'm also, I'm also pretty cheap. So, you know, making, making my own stuff is, is, you know, the way to go as far as, when I'm making, when I'm making my own gear, um, or, or if I look at something and say, yeah, I can make it. That's, that's kind of the fun for me is like, <laughs> that's, that is what I enjoy doing. So I'd rather take on the project rather than just go buy it in the store. Just, just because it's, it's a, 
project. So I'll, I'll spend probably twice as much as I would have paid for it at a, at a, at a Cabela's or someplace, but I had fun uh, learning how it works and, and how to make it myself. So. <laughs> I get a quite a few eye rolls and comments <laughs> from my wife because she's like, you, the money you spent on the tooling or whatever it was in order to get to that point to where I could make whatever I did or the time it took me to learn it or whatever, and then I right. do it and I make it. And she's like, you could have went out and bought like two of those for, for what you just did. And then I'm like, yeah, but now I know how to do it and I have the right. materials. So now it's not going to cost me anything and I'll always know how to do it. That's the way right. I look at it. Yeah. I can always make another one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But that, that to me, like, I guess, I don't know if it's justification in my own head, but that's just, just what I look at, look at as far as hunting in general, like there's a project around, um, hunting or gear or whatever. I'll, I'll spend the money to, to make it myself and, and have fun doing that and, and learn along the way. Um, yeah, rather than going out and just, just buying it sometimes. <laughs> the one thing and that I, the... <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I, that's it. <laughs> okay, because the one thing that I did build that uh, was like a complete DIY was the Ernie platform. So I mm-hmm. built the Ernie platform from the forums type stuff, um, and I was actually going to – I do a little bit of machining, and I was going to machine my own standoffs and everything for the tree. And another – a buddy of mine uh, that had a podcast – him and I were kind of messaging back and forth and I'm like, no, you're going to see, once you see mine, you're, you're going to like crap yourself. It's going to be so awesome, you know, and like going back and forth and just kind of like razzing each other a little bit. And he's like, you know, you can just buy those. Right. And I'm like, no, I was going to make them. What do you, why, why would I need to buy them? And then when I saw the price and figured out how long it would actually take me to do it and cost of buying the aluminum to do it and knowing that I might screw up one before I get the two good ones that I needed. Yep. I was like, okay, I'll break down. And that was like the first stuff I ever bought from uh, Dano over at uh, Eastern Woods Outdoors or Double Steps. Um, yep. So I bought that stuff and then cut down my own aluminum tubing. I had that kind of stuff. And then it just kind of snowballed into the whole project. And I ended up making two of them. Never put them on the tree, though, because I probably wouldn't have made the second one. Uh <laughs> It just, it wasn't stable enough. Like no matter what you did, it could still kick out on you if you put any side pressure on it. So it, it wasn't what I was looking for. And then next thing you know, there I am looking, waiting on tethered until the predator comes back in stock. And then once it finally did come back in stock, I clicked and, and broke down and bought it. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, I mean, that that that's kind of the story with the with the camera arm as well. I mean, I I put a lot. I w- I gave up on the whole camera arm thing because I, I I even sent out some samples to some guys to try, and I thought I really had it as far as you know, super lightweight uh, printed camera arm. Um, but it just it just it never had the strength that I was was hoping for. So I kind of just I just stopped with it because I was like, you know, I can I. I'm kind of, I'm trying to reinvent the wheel here because those the big guys they've got it figured out and I've now realized why camera arms cost as much as they do and and you know you get you 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 buy the features that they have and so I just kind of stopped at it but 
but for some reason I was walking through Home Depot the one the one time and just had an aha moment and 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 said I think I can I can make it work with this and um, kind of threw together a prototype and and started playing with it and that's how that developed as well so yeah I've got a I've got a lot of um, I'll, I'll call them failures but but many learnings as well from from a lot of prototypes so so the Home Depot aluminum rack is quite expensive <laughs> you could go to an actual scrapyard and get the stuff that was uh leftovers from a job or something and get it and buy it for scrap weight for the aluminum yeah. it's way cheaper Definitely. <laughs> that's a good idea actually i uh <laughs> i should go and do that we have uh we have uh where we you can buy new stock as well but they also have a scrapyard so i always ask them i'm like hey did you guys get any like job site stuff in or anything like that Always ask them first because I'm sitting there and I'll always be playing and fiddling and fingering them and trying to take the two pieces and make them slide in each other just to see yeah. what, what they've got there, you know, and the different products. And, and uh, I mean, we, me and my buddies have made a lot of cool things with stuff that we went and got there. But I always ask hmm. first because sometimes they'll even have like where they cut out something where it was like aluminum staircases and this company bought 100 of them because they needed them for an event. Then they take them for scrap. Well, they cut them up or something stupid instead of bringing them whole because then they could just sell them whatever. But so they wow. cut them up and now they've got all these square tubes that are one inch square tubes that are like eighth inch thick aluminum. And I'm like, hmm, hey, I'll take those, you know? Yep. Um, yep. Many a times, like way back when I used to hunt some public land that uh, had some trails and stuff, my buddy and I were like, we need bikes for this. So we're like, yeah, but how are we going to carry all our stuff? You know, we didn't have like a backpack you could put all that stuff on. So the bike was the mobile unit. And so we built these big old stands because back then, what were you carrying? Either a Summit or something larger. I remember yeah. for a while there, I was hauling around like uh, a Menards, like whatever brand Menards has, aluminum aluminum yep. ladder stand. And I'd take it and put the pins in and stand it up and put it on the tree but I'd wow. have that on a rack that we made out of aluminum. And luckily my buddy could weld that <laughs> stuff up and we welded it up and bolted it to the bike. And then on the front, we did bow racks. And then I think we even had like a tomahawk holder out of PVC on one of the front forks just for fun, but um, Holy cow. stuff like that, you know, and <laughs> then you could I'd get, I'd love to see a picture of that, <laughs> you know, about a year ago, uh, I had a little bit of a flood in the barn and I was just cleaning out stuff and I, I parked it by the curb, but it sat in the barn for years after not using it. But nice. so we had nice. like, <laughs> we had nicknames for them. Like I think mine was the rut reaper and his was something else. We spray painted <laughs> it on them. <laughs> it was pretty cool, but uh, <laughs> just doing That's stuff awesome. like that, you know, I've never gone quite as far as like, the stuff you're doing in the detail of it, but yeah, scrapyard is definitely the way to go for, for materials for your, at least for your prototypes, you know, but yeah, exactly. I got to yeah. ask you. Um, so when, when you did it was your original intention, cause I was looking, you've got it to where it's like camera arm kits. You've got it to where it's like, you know, build your own. And then you've got it to where you can actually buy it yourself. Mm -hmm. Was it ever, was it your original intention to, to sell the entire camera arm or was it uh more of a well, DIY? Yeah. It was it was when I first came out with it, I mean yeah, I didn't I didn't my intention wasn't actually to 
to get with a fabricator and um, you know basically build it from 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 everything or sell the whole thing as one unit because um, I just really wanted to do the the printed work um, but and and people and that all just came about because I was posting things and people said hey I, I want to make my own so can I get the printed parts and I and then I can do the 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 metalwork myself so. So that was that was kind of the first intention was just to provide printed parts and but um, I actually happened to um, meet up with a with a fellow saddle hunter um, uh, altered fabrication which is here in in the Raleigh area of North Carolina um, we we were chatting on saddlehunter.com and found out he happened to be you know just down the street from me so. Then I, we we were talking saddle hunting, and then all of a sudden he said, "Yeah, I've, I'm starting up a, a fabrication shop too." And I was like, "Oh, well, that could come in handy if you can do the fabrication. We could actually combine on some projects." So, so we've got a lot of lot of things in the works as far as you know, combining both of our both of our skills actually too. So, um, a lot of things in the works as far as testing you know, this season and, and maybe we'll see how they go and, and coming out further. But yeah, the, the original intent, I mean, was just really once, once the 3d printing kind of took off was just to provide the 3d printing rather than, um, you know, going into that. I mean, once, once you've got all the pieces together now and, you know, they've been fairly consistent and fairly popular now that the season's starting, you know, you, you, I never thought I'd be just, assembling camber arms so um <laughs> and then, so you know you're always looking at you know is this is this something that i was intending to do or not but um yeah it's been fun so far because like we had kind of had mentioned earlier it's it's really cool now i've 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 uh sold a, a few camera arms to a lot of youtubers out there a lot of people have youtube channels hunting channels and to see the camera arm in the back room while they're filming and and being able to share their experience with a bunch of people knowing that that camera arm was there to to help them do that it was it's uh it's pretty cool to see so um you know just helping them share their experiences with with their family with with their following and everything so uh, makes makes getting up at at 4 a.m. to to assemble camera arms before <laughs> before I go to work uh, a little bit more worth it. So no, that's cool. So I got to ask you then because I was on your website and I was looking, but like we talked about, I'm a DIY guy too, and I saw yeah. all the DIY kits are out. Is there an intention to like make parts up for that, or is it kind of just because there's such a high demand for the entire camera arm? That eventually it'll catch up, or the or the DIY kits no longer available. The the kits are the kits are available, and um, it's <laughs> it's basically you you can request it. Um, I it's probably just my lack of um, of programming the website that they're they're there they're available. You just need to get a hold of me and and let me know what you need because. Um, yeah, so I I'll print them up for you, no problem. I've got a <laughs> lot of parts on hand, um, and and if you want, I've had a lot of uh, guys just request some more custom parts because they say, hey, I'm gonna do this with my arm, and then I'll just print them up 
whatever they need and, and send them the printed parts and then they go ahead and they make their own camera arm. That's, that's, yeah, that's available. Okay. So. Well, that's cool then. So now I'm not as worried because even though I, <laughs> I bought one, I ended up breaking down and buying a camera arm, not your camera arm, but a different camera arm, but I still want to build one. So, right. Because you can't have just one camera arm. What do you do if you got two people out, right? You both ought to have a right. camera arm on the tree. So, well, especially because you have access to all that scrap aluminum, man, that's like that's like gold right there. <laughs> Actually, I got a buddy that tore apart a bunch of climbing sticks and cannibalized and made some of his own hybrid things and stuff like that and him and I were talking about camera arms the other day and he goes, "Hey, uh, I got a bunch of old sticks. It's just the tubes for the sticks, but if you want them, he's like, probably be like 15, 20 bucks. I'll mail them all these. Like, I probably got like eight or 10 of them. I'm like, yeah, I'll take them. I'll take them for yeah. sure. <laughs> so Definitely. I probably got those in the mail coming. So that's cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I'll I'll print you up some parts for them. If you <laughs> tell me the size size of the tube, that's, uh, that's nothing. That's good. Um, yeah, so... No, that was not the original intention of me coming on here, but I had to razz you and ask you about that because <laughs> I was looking. It was after we talked, and, I'm, and I was looking because um, I, I saw your camera stuff already, and then you and I talked on the phone, and afterwards I was like, yeah, maybe maybe I'll order some stuff, and I'll try and build it before we do the interview. <laughs> and uh, I, I looked well, at the website. so Yeah, and that's the thing too. Like it's all very common parts. There's, there's, it's, they're common fasteners. They're they're simple things. So even if you get it and you want to modify it, like take it apart and reconfigure it, yeah, that that's what it's there for. And but it's also there for the the more mobile, lightweight person as well. So yeah, no, I mean, like I thought about just going and getting a bunch of Teflon washers and stuff like that and bolting my own stuff together. But I was looking at it and looked like you had some pretty cool pieces, especially for you know actually attaching like your your head to your pan head or swivel head or whatever you're using attaching mm-hmm. that kind of stuff it looked like that was kind of where your detailed stuff came into definitely into play there and your brackets yep. and stuff like that yeah the standoff and that's where like you know you can make your own standoff out of aluminum or print it you're gonna save some weight there um the biggest thing i think you know for this is is definitely getting it tight to the tree because you can you can if you don't have anything that's that's tight to the tree, you got to have a pretty good quality strap. Um, that's that's also part of it. So um, just to, to keep in mind when you're when you're building your own <laughs> camera arm. So let's uh, let's kind of talk about that real quick then too, because um, I noticed the type of strap you use is a cam buckle, right? Like it's it's, it's not an over the center. It's yeah. an over the center. Um, yeah, over the center OCB buckle or bolt buckle. Um, and, and that was mainly because, you know, if you buy, I I don't know if you, you, if you buy a camera arm today, I think they all come with a ratchet strap. And so ratchet straps are noisy and, but they will get you. And the reason is because they get that base really tight to the tree. It's just like a tree stand, you know, you, you get that ratchet strap with it, but the OCB will get it just as tight, um, as a ratchet strap and you don't have that ratcheting or that noise. So it's a, a simple run it through twice and, and pull it, uh, cam it over. Um, and it'll get, you actually, 
you'll actually have to get a good feel for it because you can get it too tight. And um, <laughs> I mean, you can't, you won't be able to physically pull the cam, the buckle over. So um, yeah, it, it gets pretty tight. So it's a nice quiet strap. Yeah, I like that because I was looking at uh, the one I bought and um, it's definitely got ratchet straps to it. And the base is super clunky. Like it is mm-hmm. stupid clunky. And I don't know. People could probably figure out what I bought with, without even knowing. But and no, it's not a muddy. But <laughs> well, and, and and that's a thing. So I I you know there's a lot of good arms out on the market, and I have nothing bad to say about <laughs> you know most of them, most of them just but they're they're just heavy. So but you're you're paying for that that maximum adjustability in many of them. So you can you can put your arm on and you can adjust it at any angle that you want. And, and that's, that's, that's the technology and the engineering that's gone into it. And, and it's worth, worth the money you spend on it. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know about the one I got, but (laughs) (laughs) sounds good. (laughs) It's just, I've seen, I've seen a, a lot of them just because I'm, I'm making them, but, um, yeah, it's uh there are there are definitely lower quality arms out there. So um I gotta ask you, is there anything that you can talk about that's coming up on the horizon that's pretty cool and you're excited about, or maybe not yet? Um I well I I'm pretty open with my designs as far as sharing ideas and things like that. Um, you know, I've I've always looked at there's no there's not many strapped bow hangers out there. A lot of them screw into the tree for, for, for tree stand hunters. So for saddle hunters, you know, you don't, you don't, you, you get, you, your bow is pretty much right alongside the tree. There's no reason really to bring it out farther from the tree, but when you're in a tree stand, you like that bow out kind of out in front of you and just ready. And so a lot of those types of um, bow hangers are, um screw into the tree and i there are a couple out there that you strap strap onto the tree but uh i've got some ideas around around that where you can have a nice public land legal um strap bow hanger that'll hold your bow out a little bit further um so some of some ideas that be that are being tested i don't know you know how well they're 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 going to be working throughout the whole season, but, uh, you know, those are, those are some of the things that, that are working on, um, just because of, I've got the fabricator so close. So nice. No, it's pretty cool. So, um, I think that's probably a good point here to ask you this. Then, um, if somebody wants to buy your products or get in touch with you and maybe ask you a few questions about something, or, um, maybe even have you do some custom work or something like that, where, where would they get a hold of you? The the best way would be the two places would be my website, DIYBowhunting.com. Um, there's a contact page on there. And um, I'm most active through um, Instagram. So uh, you can contact me through through there as well. So just message me and uh, we, can, we can work on your project. Very nice. That's pretty cool, Mark. I appreciate you coming on and uh, talking to me and sharing about your cool stuff that you got going on. And uh, Mm -hmm. thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to, to be on the podcast with you. 
Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you can check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenged.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show. Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest. Me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.